0: You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about habeas corpus and Hollywood.
1: I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your friendly hosts of this officially one-year-old podcast. Yeah. Yes, this time last year, we had just recorded and released our first episode mm-hmm. in, in Boston. And a year later, we are still at it. So we just wanted yep. to say happy birthday to our little podcast. Yes. Thank you for sticking with us. If you have since the first episode, or if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. Um, I guess just to celebrate our our one year like anniversary of this, mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite um, episodes or segments that we've had, Micah? Oh, so many. I've really loved – I love Freaky
0: Friday. But I also – Freaky was, Friday was so much fun. So much fun. Um, for those who are just joining us now, Freaky Friday was when um, Yasmin did the uh, politics section of the podcast, and mm-hmm. I did the pop culture section,
1: and it was a blast. Yeah, nothing Nothing burnt. The place didn't yeah. – like, no blow up or anything we, we managed it so that, that, was that was a good challenge i thought yeah
0: i also really like shedding light on political issues that like aren't like the like interesting and sexy issues you see in the news all the time so yeah. i really enjoyed talking about the white helmets which are who are um syrians working in syria to help um mitigate damages from the civil war um, i've also loved talking about a lot of different feminist topics um and women's rights and rights of people who are marginalized. So that's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think you've that. done like such a good job of like picking topics that are relevant, but not like the one that everyone's talking about and is ridiculously sick of. Like mm-hmm. we haven't done um, like Brexit, for instance. We haven't. You know, that's that's oversaturated. So mm-hmm. I think yeah, your angles have been have been really good. But you've you've touched on things that let's say have to do with Brexit, but mm-hmm. aren't Brexit. So that's been really fun. Yeah, I also loved the the Freaky Friday episode. I think um like that marked a time where I was kind of comfortable talking about politics, which I had never been before. Mm-hmm. So and I, I owe that to this podcast, like definitely in part. So that was really, really fun. Um I really liked our most recent episode where I got to talk about the Center for Youth Literature in mm-hmm. Victoria because I felt like I was, you know, really, really helping something out there, you know. We were Um, shedding light on something that I know a lot of people who listen to the podcast can actually do something about. So Mm -hmm. I think that felt really important. Um, But I have loved all our funny little bits in between recordings. I think we recently basically wrote a thesis between us on the history of the Jonas Brothers. Yes. Um, Um, which
0: is on my hard drive and maybe
1: will be released one day we should do that yeah there's also probably like a thousand weird timothy chalamet jokes that we have to cut out we usually go on weird like timothy chalamet tangents so um yeah that is that has been fun too i I Mm -hmm. do enjoy some timmy um and what do you how do you imagine us going forward micah what are your hopes and dreams for this (laughs) podcast in our second year Oh, so many hopes and dreams. I want to figure out an even better audio setup, I've been thinking. Um, yeah, I've been yeah. thinking that too. I'm currently using like a $15 Amazon microphone and some iPhone earphones. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe it's time for an upgrade. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, and then we, we want to be reunited.
1: Obviously. that is our big one Our big, <laughs> we need to be in the same country if you don't know we started the podcast when we were together in Boston and then we recorded our second episode in Vancouver I believe that yeah. was our second episode mm-hmm. yeah I went to visit Micah and we recorded that there and since then um, Micah has mainly been in either Vancouver or New York while <laughs> we've recorded yeah. and I have been in either Australia or Ireland as we've recorded mm-hmm. I'm never in the same room so we will be good mm-hmm yeah I think that's definitely my my top goal um I I feel like we've got more relaxed with the setup and like yeah we found a format that really works for us and you know things like editing has got easier and yeah I just think we've we've found our groove and um mm-hmm. I guess to celebrate that we are gonna do a giveaway because even we though are. it's our birthday we're giving you guys a present um if you are following us for our half birthday it is a similar one to that basically. Mm-hmm as you guys know we love reading um, so we thought we would give away a, a book of your choice from the ones that we have read over the past year mm-hmm. um, we will put all the details on our Instagram account which is at DTCBS podcast and we'll be picking a lucky winner very soon and I guess if you're listening to this in the future um, if it's not like May 2019 mm-hmm. please please don't enter um, <laughs> don't have presents for you anymore i'm sorry Um, we're very sorry you have to wait to our two-year anniversary yeah yeah or like i don't know maybe when we finally get timothy chalamet on the podcast um we will do a big giveaway actually i i have told you i'm going to see saoirse ronan speak like next week that's very cool maybe she can give you an in yeah. Or like, she's the one who literally said different things can be said in this the movie Lady Bird, which is where we got this name from. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I can maybe like, write it on a piece of paper and like piff it at her like on stage. <laughs> so that She knows, you know, about yeah. us. Okay, that's something I need to work on. Mm. Um, but yes, looking back on the month of April, Micah, what have you been reading this month? Oh, I um, continued my trend. If
0: you listened to our episode last month, I talked about reading books from my childhood. Um, continued this trend and read some Stephanie Perkins. Um, would recommend. Um, the other thing I read, which is new and not for teenagers, <laughs> is um, actually listen to it. It's called *The Great Believers* by Rebecca Mackay. Um She is like becoming one of those like pretty famous authors of our generation so that's really cool um so the great believers takes place in two places and two times it takes place in the 1980s chicago and 2015 paris and it's about the aids crisis and how it affected the lives of gay men's and the people who loved them
1: mm, um that's it's really interesting it's
0: so interesting um i actually a lawyer a decent part of my degree has been about um, the aids crisis and oh. um the kind of history of gay activism. And so this was a really interesting book to read um, coming to the end of that degree. That's weird. Um, but, I can't believe you nearly graduated. I know. Um, so what was really interesting about the book is that usually stories from the AIDS crisis talk about New York and San Francisco and rarely do they talk about anywhere in the middle. True. Yeah. yeah. So this was about Chicago, which definitely experienced it a little bit differently. Um, And it's also about um, one of the main characters in the book is an art, um, he works in an art museum and they're trying to collect these paintings that were painted in um, post-war France. And so there's this really interesting comparison between the lost generation of the people who died during the First World War and the people who have died during the AIDS crisis and like the people who are left behind. Um, It's beautiful and it's sad and it's wonderful and um, it's definitely like, Followable If you know nothing about the AIDS crisis Um, But if you do know something about it It like really adds to the history And it's really well
1: researched as well Um, So I would definitely recommend That sounds fantastic Um, I've also read a book I really really enjoyed this month Educated by Tara Westover Which Mm -hmm. if you were anywhere like six months ago You probably read it Or
0: listened to like three interviews with her
1: yes i listened to multiple interviews with her before i got to this um it was pretty much everywhere i had to wait six months to get it at the library (laughs) but i did um yeah if you don't know it's about like a it's a memoir by a young woman who grew Mm -hmm. up in idaho in a fundamentalist mormon household and her dad in particular was um like very fundamentalist and was like a doomsday prepper. Mm -hmm. So she had like no formal education and her dad was like really deeply suspicious of the medical establishment. So the family never went to like doctors or hospitals and even the most horrific of injuries were treated at home. Um, And then when she was 17, she went to Brigham Young University in Utah, despite Mm -hmm. never having set foot in a classroom before. And then, you know, she started learning about really seismic events like the Holocaust and how she could, you know, live alongside people who were raised in entirely different ways to mm-hmm. her, like washing their hands after going in the toilet, which, you know, she had never done, or drinking Coke, which she had never done. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to Cambridge and Harvard. Yeah. I mean, like, Cambridge University and Harvard University, not, mm-hmm. she went to-, <laughs> to go to Harvard. Yeah. Um, too many Cambridges and fancy universities. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really interesting because she's still like consistently drawn back to her family, even though some members are really abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this book showed that an education is more than, you know, being admitted into prestigious schools and writing essays. It's about how a person can learn more about themselves and change their perception of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what she really drills into rather than how fantastic it is that she goes to Harvard. And It also shows that even when your circumstances change and you live on the other side of the country or on a different continent, like, you're not automatically a different person. So, you know, she still had a struggle to separate her views or the views that her father had imparted on her with, like, the logic that she was gathering later on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it prompted a lot of self-reflection. There's a bit where she gets um, really into, like, feminist literature. Mm and. there's one bit here I'm going to quote cause I loved it. It's about how much she loved this quote. And then I was like, Oh, I love this quote. <laughs> um, So she says, there was a single line written by John Stuart Mill that, when I read it, moved the world. It is a subject on which nothing final can be known. The subject Mill had in mind was the nature of women. Mill claimed that women had been coaxed, cajoled, shoved, and squashed into a series of feminine contortions for so many centuries that it is now quite impossible to define their natural abilities or aspirations. And I was
0: like, what? I love that. Love me some John Stuart Mill. Um, Fun fact, uh, John Stuart Mill had a wife, um, Harriet Mill. I am a horrible person for not remembering her name. But she actually helped him write a lot of her stuff. His stuff actually wrote a lot of feminist stuff herself. Cool. Um, And everyone only ever reads John Stuart Mill, but everyone should read his wife, which I'm going to find the name of right now because I feel bad. (laughs) I have the book somewhere. Um, for the readers who can't see, I am pulling out uh, the essential <laughs> feminist reader, which is a book comprised of just the best feminist things. Um, yes, I was almost right. Harriet Taylor Mill was John Stuart Mill's wife. Harriet Taylor Mill.
1: There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought this quote was really cool because you could take it however you wanted or whatever was like working for you mm-hmm. at the moment. And like I read it just before Easter. And I was getting a bit like social media was kind of getting to me. And I think it was getting to me because I was like, I'm 22. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like who Mm -hmm. knows what the future is going. And then when you're going on social media, you're seeing what like a hundred different people are doing and it all looks great. And Mm -hmm. you're just pulled in so many different directions. You're like, Oh, maybe I should do that. Or maybe I should be doing that. or Maybe I should be doing that. And you forget that like, each person is just doing their own thing you don't have to be doing all of it or that some of it's not even right for you Mm -hmm. that you need to like figure out what's right for you so I took a social media break after reading this book and that quote and I think that really cleared my head so yeah I'm gonna instead of spending so much time on social media this is the kind of stuff I should be reading I feels
0: that sounds like a great idea yeah. I need to read it. Uh, we will put myself on my
1: library's waitlist. Six-month waitlist. <laughs> um, in fascinating things, what did you watch this month?
0: Okay, so
1: the first thing I watched was
0: uh, – actually, wrong order, but I watched Avengers Endgame because everyone and their mother watched it, and it made – Except one, for me! Ugh. It made $1.2 billion
1: in its first weekend. Crouch. Uh, because I haven't seen that – and I probably won't because I'm not really mm-hmm. a big Avengers person. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. I am so left out. April I... has been the worst month for me.
0: Um, I so it. I watched Avengers and I watched some Game of Thrones because oh. I work with the movie people. And I know. So I watched two episodes of Game of Thrones having never seen a single episode, but knowing quite a bit oh. about the plot because people had told me about it.
1: Yeah, like, um, I've picked up enough that I can talk to people about it, even though I've never yeah. freaking seen an episode. Yeah,
0: so, um, would recommend Endgame if you have any love for Avenger, like, the Marvel franchise at all. It's good, it's fun, there's time travel, it's a good time.
1: Um, Ooh. Ooh! Yeah,
0: it is three hours and one minute long, so... Who do they think they no, are, Titanic? I know. What are you doing? so long um so that was really good would recommend the other thing i saw is not a movie or a tv show but a play
1: oh um, cultured
0: i know so i went and i saw what the constitution means to me which is a Ooh. almost one woman broadway show it's written and stars heidi Shrek. um she, that is a fantastic name it is a fantastic when name. the movie
1: came out she was probably like oh no yeah um Shrek probably just ruined her life
0: Yep. Um, so she's a comedian and actress um, and when she was 15 she used to go around the country and talk about how the American constitution was so great and why it was so important for her and that gave her enough money to pay for her college tuition she what? went to all of these competitions yeah weird so, I know sorry
1: were the competitions specifically like just about the constitution yes. or it could be about no, it was about the Constitution. So you had to, first you had to like write a speech
0: about why you liked the Constitution so much, and then you picked from a hat one section of the Constitution,
1: and you had to recite it and then talk about what it meant. Okay, because I just assumed the fact that there was more than one of these competitions meant that it was like a come-read-an-essay competition no. or like a poetry song. So they were specifically yes. about the Constitution. Um, they
0: were h- held by the American Legion Association, which is like veterans. Mm-hmm. um and so this play is about her reflecting on that time in her life when she like did these speeches but also about like what the constitution has meant to her as an adult and as a woman is it different than when she was yeah, 15? so different so when she was 15 she like really thought it was the best thing on earth and like it was amazing so she
1: was genuinely like yeah. A big old fan of it, not just like a oh, this is like debating kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right. But now she like recognizes that there is a huge amount of flaws, and that it didn't include most people when it was written, and still doesn't include right. a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and what's really beautiful about it is it kind of interweaves her criticisms of the Constitution with her family's history, and specifically the woman in her family and the like. Oh, cool. Hardships they had to go through, and how the Constitution left them behind. Yeah. Um, but also, like, weaves in, like, her personal experiences of, like, when she was 15, she went on birth control, and birth control had only been legal in the States since she had been born, so for, like, 15 years. Wow. And, yeah. So, it's beautiful and wonderful. It's, like, a very limited run, but there's hope that she'll, like, tour it more. Is it um, funny? Is it, like, a comedy? It's so funny. Okay. He's, like, incredibly um charismatic and then like it gets really sad too so you start crying while watching it um wow Sounds and you incredible there was this one horrible person who was laughing at the parts you weren't supposed to laugh at
1: oh no yeah uh so oh, that wasn't no. good that's cr- were they confused or were they just like a douche
0: no like the things that like a sexist would laugh at
1: oh oh yeah. they were a douche okay yeah. right i thought maybe they were just like Mm-mm. yeah yeah no yeah. that's that's um, bad.
0: Like, there I had tears in my eyes and they were laughing. Kick him out! Yeah! Oh. Um, so, it's like a very feminist play, but it also recognizes that the Constitution isn't just harmful to women, but also it talks about racism and immigration and, um, you like a diverse amount of topics. And then the best part is, is at the end, she brings um, on this, like, 13 year old girl from New York to debate her about the Constitution. Oh, cool. And this girl's like, uh, in the debating circuit in New York, and they um, they do, like, a mock debate, like, it's clearly scripted, but it's really cool that she, like, brings in someone who, like, has a different perspective than she does. Um, so it's kind of, like, her younger self debating yeah. her older self. That's pretty cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's like so good. I hope they, like, it would be so cool if they did, like, a recording of it. Yeah, something. get it on Netflix. Yeah. 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 Um, so would recommend that if you are in New York in the next month. Oh, well, that's,
1: that leaves yeah. some of us out, Mike. It does. It leaves most <laughs> people out. <laughs> um, but on the topic of Netflix, I watched something really good on Netflix this month. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie called Someone Great, mm-hmm. which um, I believe has been named after the LCD sound system song of the same name. Cool. And it is about, it's a very musical movie and it's set in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think it's not a coincidence and that was very intentional. Um, So it's about a New York music journalist who is played by Gina Rodriguez and she is devastated when after accepting her dream job in San Francisco, her relationship with her boyfriend of nine years ends. Um, Yeah. So then a la Ferris Bueller's Day Off, she and her two BFFs spend a wild day and night saying a final goodbye to New York while navigating like, the breakup, but also the end of their 20s. Like, they're mm-hmm. all kind of, like, 28, 29 kind of thing. And it's all about next chapters and how to deal with the old ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I expected, like, a cheesy Netflix movie, yeah. um, like a Christmas Prince kind of thing, which I freaking love, by the way, no knock on that. But it was just, like, an honestly great film. It was very much mm-hmm. in this kind of, like, indie vein as – um, Obvious Child or The Boy Downstairs you know those kind of like Lena yeah. Dunham Brooklynite kind of movies mm-hmm. um, but it was a little bit more polished and a very very 2019. Um, it had really great performances so I remember one review called Rodriguez very Aniston-esque and mm-hmm. I would agree her acting was like very natural and it had that like almost ad-libby kind of quality yeah. of jennifer Aniston, like really really likable i just really really natural um and also had a fantastic soundtrack because like the structure of the movie involves you like because it's just set on one day you learn a lot in flashbacks and the flashbacks are triggered by music Mm -hmm. um so some of the music that's in it is lizzo there's uh vampire weekend Mm mansard roof is in it and that triggers Mm -hmm. something and that that was very fun um Mm -hmm. Have you been listening to anything fabulous this month? I have. who has been in someone great. Yeah. So, I, um,
0: Lizzo's new album, Because I Love You, yes. came out this month. Um, it did. It's so good. Uh, she's awesome. Um, she, it's where I follow I Way, which is Jamil Jamal's album. She's on the good place. It's her yes, like body yes, positive. Yeah, queen. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, it's her like body positive um, Instagram account that was actually just featured on um, Harry and Megan's uh, like
1: mental health awareness Instagram. Oh, like, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I was mean, really getting really big. I think it there's is. been some like, um, I think, did Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye, he
0: did. One, yeah, four, I think he did something yeah. for them, um, yeah. but they did a whole interview with Lizzo, which was really awesome. Um, oh, cool. He's great. Uh, the album's also great. Uh, the songs, I feel like my favorite songs are the singles that came out before the album came out. So Juice, yeah. which is awesome. Oh, so Tempo, good. which has a Missy Elliott feature. Yes. good. And then Because I Love You, which is the title track, is also amazing. Um,
1: yeah, so I, I uh... recommend. I usually make a playlist every month. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually wrote a blog post about my playlist this month, so I'll link to that. And it has 24 songs. Mm-hmm. In keeping with typical and terrible Yaz fashion, 23 of them are by men. <laughs> <laughs> by a woman and it is a Lizzo song. Nice. So, um, I'm improving, guys. Godness. I will get a diverse music taste. Um, um. Speaking of
0: more women, uh, the yes. other album I've been loving this month is When We All Fall Asleep Where Do We Go by Billie Eilish, which like everyone is a Billie Eilish fan now. I except for Yasmin apparently.
1: Oh, uh, no, that it's catchy and I really like that song that has the scar and dance from the office in it. Like yes, that's, I appreciate the office reference. I really <laughs> I really like that. Um, I thought really like It's not your stuff You like skinny not, white boy bands Love my skinny white boys No, no, no I do appreciate It's very mm-hmm. groundbreaking, isn't it? Like this is gonna oh, yeah. make waves. Like this is making waves And this is like getting people talking And I appreciate that
0: mm-hmm. I love her I think it has to do with um, The fact that I was a dancer Back in the day And
1: Yeah She's
0: great Anyways um, My favorite songs One is When the Party's Over Which is one of the singles But also All the Good Girls Go to Hell So good just a fun album that kept my spirits up while writing final papers. So,
1: that's It's kind
0: of sad. I don't know. Great album. I'm trying to find tickets to her show, but um, they were originally forty five dollars and now they're reselling for three hundred. <gasps> so we're probably After not go Coachella. to I know yeah, uh, before that. Oh really? She like blew up a like. She started releasing music videos for the album, and the beginning of the year, and that really yeah. Propelled her into $300 ticket range.
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of my friends, like cause she's toured in Australia before, and like a lot of my friends have seen her, and mm-hmm. like it was kind of not really like she's been going around forever. Yeah. Uh, it feels like a couple years anyway, and Even it was though all kind 17. of. She's 17. I know, but it was all kind of like no big deal that they'd seen her, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden she was like headlining at Coachella, mm-hmm. and well, like that was the highlight of the whole festival. Mm-hmm. I heard more about that than Ariana Grande's set, so. Mm-hmm yeah big yeah um well in in speaking of my stars, <laughs> <laughs> I went to see Catfish and the Bottlemen this month. I must be the last person to have seen them, like they've been around about five years, and I've always kind of like listened to them mm-hmm. not like, super passionately or anything, but they've always they've always been on my playlists um And they're always touring. They are, like, known for constant touring. But Mm -hmm. I just always miss them. I think when they've played in Australia, they've more often than not played festivals, if I'm correct. Um, And they haven't really been close to me. And then just with all the traveling in the past couple years, I've missed them. But I finally saw them. And Mm -hmm. they were really, really great. It was a super high-energy show. Um, And it was the kind of thing that – like, I loved it. I thought I had so much fun. Like, they're just – a really great live band. Their frontman, Van McCann of the fantastic name. Um, (laughs) He is just such a frontman. Like he is really high energy, but just seems, just comes across as a really nice person. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing was though, like I think it was the kind of thing that if I was maybe five years younger, I would have loved because Mm -hmm. people there were like, some people were treating them as if it was One Direction. Like they (laughs) were crying their stuff I know you haven't listened to them a whole (laughs) heap Micah. um it is the lyrics are very like early Arctic Monkeys kind of thing like that relatable colloquial kind of thing um their stuff is very very similar like there's not a lot of range across the three albums that they have Mm -hmm. but it's good for a dance like I would definitely recommend Mm -hmm. um another song recommendation and a band that is also influenced by Arctic Monkeys, mm-hmm. uh, Blossoms, my beloved Blossoms. They released I've Seen the Future this month on Record Store Day. Um, and that was a song that I had heard them perform when I went to see them last year, but it hadn't been released yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they finally released it, and it's really, really good. It is very Arctic Monkeys, like the opening notes and – very similar to Arabella and then there's kind of like synths throughout that remind me of Secret Door so mm-hmm. um, if you like those kind of Arctic monkey tracks I think you'll really like this
0: cool. uh so welcome to the politics section of the podcast uh this month I thought we'd do kind of a broader topic and we're going to talk about the politics of women's healthcare. um and so I don't think this would typically be seen as a traditionally political topic, but here on DTCBS, uh, we like to talk about politics in an expansive way. So we do. Uh, we do. And so like the most basic way that politics is understood is that it's about the negotiation of power and women's health care and health is a lot about power in many different ways. And today we're going to talk about a, a little bit of those different ways and Maybe in the future, we'll delve deeper into some of these topics. And if you really want to know about something, because this is kind of a bit of where my own education research is, uh, just send us a message on Instagram and we'll talk a bit more about it because that
1: would be fun. Yeah, um, we have like a legit expert here. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not training an, expert to be an expert. Yeah, michael's a legit Maybe I should try to be a skinny white boy with guitars expert. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty. I feel like, you know how they you say you have to have like, a thousand hours or something to mm-hmm. become an expert mm-hmm. well past that. Well, yeah, there past that. isn't
0: there. it 10,000
1: hours? Oh, you're right, it's it's definitely more you're of, It has there. nothing, it has it's nothing. Yeah, you're right. I've probably done more than that on like Spotify in the past month or something. <laughs>
0: um, sad. so before we talk about uh, women's healthcare, I just a little clarification about language so, biology. Slash sex And gender are not the same thing as we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, and usually when we think about health, we think about people's physical bodies, so we think of sex. But the thing is, when we talk about the politics of medicine, is that a lot of it has to do with gender bias. And so then there becomes a disconnect between bodies and gender. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about women's health care, um, we're talking about both the needs of people who have the body parts that are seen as female, as well as those people who are seen to be women and identify as women, um, Great. which makes it a bit complicated to talk about. So I like to use the term woman's health because of the sexism that's involved in these issues and the fact that like being a woman the gender of that matters to the healthcare you receive. But I also recognize that some people who fall under these issues that we're going to talk about don't identify as women. And in those cases, I will try to use gender neutral terms. Um, I might slip up. This is, I think the hardest part of talking about these things because the way um, we're trained to talk about bodies and people is very, it's, seeped in sexism in a certain way, about talking about the world and unlearning that is difficult and it takes a lifetime. So, yeah, that's our caveat. But you're trying. We're you're trying, trying very hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the typical thing when we talk about um, the politics of women's health care is reproductive rights. So I thought we'd do a little bit of an orv- overview on that. Um, we have talked about reproductive rights before a couple of times. Um, the most like overt way we've talked about it is in episode two, way back when, when we talked about the Ireland yes. abortion referendum, which passed.
1: Back in the day. Back in the day. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: long. It feels like forever ago. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of two big battlegrounds when we think of reproductive rights. The first is birth control. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would bring in some fun political science, political theory lingo to kind of understand this a bit better so when in politics we talk a lot about positive and negative rights so Mm -hmm. a positive right is something that the government owes to you and a negative right is something the government can't take away from you um and i think that's an interesting way of thinking about both birth control and abortion So when you think of birth control as a negative right, it's about the government not being able to deny you certain things, your government or your employer. So when the law says a woman cannot use birth control, which it has said in the past in many countries, um, or anyone, so for example, condoms were illegal in Ireland for a long time, that is the uh, government denying you a negative right.
1: Right, okay. Okay. Um, Oh, quite (laughs) Janet. Yeah. Um, And so
0: another example of this is when your employer explicitly says in your medical plan that you can't use it for birth control. Um, Another, so this is kind of like how Americans see it, and I think a lot of discussions of reproductive rights are tinged by how Americans understand reproductive rights. Um, So that's just how it is. And, um, but the other, like, flip side of that is when we talk about whether women. And people who have reproductive, uh, female reproductive organs should be given birth control if it's your right to have these things in your life. So um, should it be free? Where should it be free? Um, Should schools provide condoms to their students? Um, Should uh, your health care plan like explicitly have birth control in it? Um, Should you be able to just like go to your doctor and get it? Um, So, and should that be part of your government's budget to provide that for you? Um, So those are like the birth control battlegrounds. And then it gets very complicated because there's like ethics and all of this involved, but that's birth control. Um, The other part of like what we typically see as women's health is abortion, which is like the biggest and lengthiest debate. Um, You can also see it in a positive and negative rights framework. So in this... Uh, this is the debate that especially as a canadian is like tinged and framed by the americans and a lot of like the research I do looks into this um and so the american understanding of abortion is that the government can't deny it from you so they can't put up laws that say you can't have it
1: right Um, okay so it's like the exact opposite of what was in ireland are we saying yeah Okay.
0: Kind of. Yeah. So in America, it's about your privacy. So Roe v. Wade, which is the famous American court case, yeah. actually says the government can't deny you or your doctor, and it specifically says women, um, from seeking an abortion. So in all the cases that we see in the states, it's um, about whether or not the government is explicitly trying to deny you a service. Um, so right. like in Whole Woman's Health v texas um which was a texas decision um the texas government had said that abortion centers had to have quarters that were a certain um width so that two gurneys could go past and the question was were they doing this to protect women or were they doing it because it created a requirement that was so high that there would be no abortion um facilities right. in Texas? and so uh, ruth bader ginsburg and That half of the court said that it was just to deny women access. It wasn't actually for their health and safety. Um, So that's kind of the American framework. Um, But in Canadian and other jurisdictions, abortion is a right based on your um, ability and need to live a full life. Okay. like have full health and so that means that it can be framed as a positive right and that the government has to provide it to you so in canada um our medical system is dictated by provinces and um the prince edward island which is a province for many many years had no um, abortion facilities on the island it still doesn't but the government has said that they're going to put it in because it could be in violation of the constitution if they didn't because they're not providing it
1: Right, I get you, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it, Prince Edward Island is weird because it's an island of 100,000 people and a province. So,
1: That's mad, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it is. So that's abortion, that battleground. Um, and right. I wanted to talk about reproductive rights because I think that's what we think about when we think about women's health care. But what really like inspired this episode and this kind of topic was this other side of healthcare that's the politics of accessing healthcare and the fact that, and this is the thing that most, most people wouldn't really see as political, is that women statistically receive worse healthcare than men. Um, right. And this isn't, a lot of the studies are from the states because they have this big healthcare system and um, lots of people and the money she the research on it, but this is kind of across the board. Um, women receive worse healthcare than men. So what does this look like? Um there's so many different facets of this um, and it's kind of so complex that it's hard to see solutions, but there are solutions available. Um, one well, aspect, yeah, so one aspect is that um, medical diagnostic categories are based off of men. So until very recently, most studies were done just using men as the test subjects. Um, so this is kind of like a the biggest example of this, which I've find kind of horrifying is heart attacks so those typical symptoms of a heart attack are um male symptoms and the symptomology doesn't actually differ that much but there's like just a few differences that make it so women don't go to hospital when they're having a heart attack because they don't think they're having one and so it it actually when you think about heart attacks you obviously automatically think
1: of old men right turns out this is why this surprised me because yeah. like everyone I've ever heard who's had, a heart, had attack. a heart attack. Well, no, it turns out,
0: at least in the States, more women die of heart attacks than men do.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Um, part of it is that women have heart attacks later in life than men and so there are more women because women die later. But like even uh, adjusted for this fact, more women die of heart attacks.
1: Wow, that's a, that's really... Yeah. Never would um, guessed that.
0: Yeah. Uh, another part of kind of the politics of women's health is the fact that for there's this long history of women being diagnosed with mental health issues. Um so this like dates back to the advent yeah. of the medical system. Um a really famous example of this is in the nineteenth century, the amount of women who were diagnosed with hysteria.
1: Yeah. Went, Have you um, um, read the yellow wallpaper? I haven't. Oh, okay. You need to get on you need to get on, this, on the list
0: yeah.
1: That's, yeah, that's kind of like a short story that's about a woman who is having like a mental illness and her doctors are just kind of like, why don't you just go away to a nice country house for a while? Mm, Things Um, go wrong. So that happens, but then
0: also for centuries, women were placed into mental institutes for having hysteria. Hysteria comes from the Latin word that um, like hysterectomy also comes from. And so it's all about like, ovaries and women's reproductive um,
1: really? parts. Really?
0: Yes. Uh, wow. So it is a gendered term. Um, yeah. But women are like, and so that was then and now women are diagnosed with anxiety and depression at a much higher rate than men. Um, this is partly because like sexism and patriarchy sucks and uh, violence against women exists and there's right. all of this stuff. And so you're going to develop mental health issues, but also it's that women, are not taken seriously um, mm. which leads into other problems with women's health um, one of them is misdiagnosis and this is kind of a yes this um, is interesting. it's a combination of the fact that there is no um, s- diagnostic categories for women in some cases and also this history of mental illness and that women are often diagnosed with having a mental illness instead of having an actual not actual, but a physical problem. So women who have stomach pain are often seen as having anxiety. Um, anxiety is like the biggest agnostic tool, <laughs> apparently, um, for women. I think because... Uh, it's the old second wave feminist adage of the personal is political and that Mm. like if you talk to women everyone will have a story of them going to see a doctor and not being believed Um, yeah small way and maybe in a really big way um uh there's so many statistics out about it um and a lot of it has to do with it's not like just male doctors ignoring women. It's female doctors as well. It's about an implicit bias that diminishes mm. um, concerns that women have. Um, so a recent study with uh, women of chronic, who have chronic illness said that um, 83% thought they had encountered gender bias when trying to get diagnosed. A study from the UK said that it took on average ten months longer for women who had a brain tumor to be diagnosed with a brain tumor, um, wow. and it also has to do with like actually like being in an emergency room. So women's pain isn't rated as isn't believed as much as men's pain. So they get less pain medication, and it takes oh 10 gosh. Months longer to get pain medication. Um, so these kind of these amalgamations of all of these things, of a history of seeing women as hysterical, and a history of the medical profession being geared towards men, and mm. then just these implicit biases we carry around with us um, that make it so that facing the medical establishment is really daunting for women sometimes. Mm. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that like Yasmin and I, as white women, have it the easiest, even if we under yes. things like this and race and class play a huge role in this um especially um the stats coming out of the states are mind-boggling so the one that makes me the saddest is that maternal mortality for um black women in the states is three to four times higher for white women and in the new york city area it's 12 times higher
1: oh my that's
0: horrific yeah um i hate that statistic so much but so what is being done about that like how because that is just Shocking. So, um, there's this wonderful piece out of the New York Times Magazine about doulas in New Orleans. So, oh. um, in New Orleans, has this problem, and it's like horrible. And mm. one of the like big reasons for it is that um, Black women are just not being believed by the doctors they're seeing, and they're not able to advocate for themselves. So, there's this doula network who um, pair up with African-American women who are pregnant and then go into the hospital with them and advocate for them every single step of the way.
1: I love that.
0: the mortality rate has gone down in New Orleans by like a significant amount because of these women who are standing up for each other. Um, It's amazing. I will find that article because it's beautiful. Please Um, do. I'd love to read that. Yeah. Uh, So there are things that you can do – I will also link a New York Times article that has some suggestions and their suggestions include like Asking about facts when you go in to see your doctor. So say what are the um, Like what's the usual diagnostic tools for this? Like why aren't you like taking my pain seriously? Um, I think Implicit bias is really difficult because it's something that we all have inside ourselves that um, takes years to get rid of but um, questioning even if it seems like you are crazy which is something that's thrown at women a lot is like necessary so you say you you question every decision that's made about your health care and that's like it's unfair that it has to be put on yourself um but it does the other thing mm. is if any of our listeners are, want to be doctors um talking about implicit bias with your like doctor friends and your medical school colleagues and
1: all of that yeah. is so important. I think so. And I think because when people have like a great
0: doctor, it makes such a difference. So it it's a big problem. And it's one of those ones where we can't like at the end, give you a call to action to like go vote. Um, yeah. I think it's like really important, really interesting. And I will also link um, a bunch of books that I have yet to read, but all seem really amazing in the uh, podcast description of uh, women who have done studies on this and, like, compiled all the research.
1: All righty then. Now it's time for the pop culture segment of the podcast. And this time, I'm going to be talking about Taylor Swift 7, the possibility of a new album, um, mm. and particularly through the lens of her new single, Me! capital M, capital E, exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. Micah has just listened to the song because I we're have. nice and prepared on this podcast. We can have a bit of a discussion through this. Um, have you been a Swifty, Micah? Or are you a Swifty? I was a Swifty in early high school. I listened to
0: all of her country stuff and then yes. I gave up after Red. Or right, right. before Red. I, my okay. last album was Fearless, I think. No, the one after that one.
1: Right. Okay. I think I had, like, an opposite experience in that I thought I was too cool for the country stuff and then came on around, like, that ah. in 1989 and then was like, oh, actually, you know what? Now the country stuff is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, now that it's not, like – a." Taken it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I eventually- all the country albums in my head somewhere, and if you play yeah. them for me, I will recite all the lyrics to you. Our song is a slam on screen doors, breaking exactly. out, tapping on your window. Yeah, biggest banger. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually came around to love Reputation, even though people had some mixed reviews on that, mm-hmm. um, and I had the best time at her concert. So I just want to discuss Reputation a little bit before we get into this because I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. I think I get what Taylor Swift was doing with that mm-hmm. you know playing into her reputation as like a drama queen who loves like feuds and is unlucky in love but I love her best when she's being fun like we're yeah. both 22 mm-hmm. we are I don't know about you, but I'm feeling twenty-two. so we know that like I think <laughs> for me she's at her best when it's just freaking fun you know mm-hmm. um so everyone's wondering what she'll do next. I have been keeping my fingers crossed for fun, mm-hmm. um, not oh, remember the band fun like Cap- Lord I do.
0: I saw them once.
1: Stop! Did you? Yes. Interesting. because was a
0: good yeah, time. I, I yeah. think I volunteered at the concerts, right? Like, didn't.
1: Yeah. See, I, I was like never really that yeah. into them, but then like, it's kind of like obviously like Jack Antonoff is like really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so she wrapped up her reputation tour last year and then dropped the concert movie on Netflix. And then mm-hmm. she's been getting kind of vocal about politics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she used to be, like, really, really quiet about it and, like, wouldn't yeah. say anything that everyone, like, thought she was maybe a secret Trump voter. Yeah. Um, but now she's been really, like, vocal, which has been really great. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, she began teasing something new. Uh, with a countdown to April 26th on her mm-hmm. Instagram stories. So she did that on April 13th, which is 13 days before April 26th. Yeah. And 13 is her lucky number. Mm-hmm. No. Um, How can you not know that? I know, I know, I know. Um, so that was kind of like a little, ooh, something big is happening because of mm-hmm. these things. There's really weird. They're um, like, she's been kind of, possibly teasing this for a while, mm-hmm. but everything Taylor Swift does is really, like, careful and meticulous. Yes. So, she wrote an article for Elle a while ago about 30 things she's learned at 30, mm-hmm. and number 26 on that list was about liking to make countdowns for things that she's excited about. So... Uh, oh, boy. Weird. Yeah. Um, there's actually, like, more ridiculous theories about this. Like, um, apparently on January 1st, her official fan club on Twitter posted a tweet with 115 rainbow emojis Mm. and someone figured out that there are 115 (laughs) days between January 1st and Mm. April 26th. Like I I would go, I was going to be like, you're reaching, but like, they maybe probably not. Are. Like maybe. I don't think they are. Anyway, so after all this like speculation, she finally released me on mm-hmm. April twenty sixth, and it was the really fun thing that I had been hoping for. It is a song with Brendan Yuri of Panic at the Disco. Um, I I wish I loved it more than I do, mm-hmm. but I think maybe it might take me a little bit of time to warm up to it. I just – my biggest problem is that I don't really like conversation duets. Yeah. Like, I don't rate them. I think they can be quite lame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, like, Don't You Want Me by The Human Nature is, like, a classic. But that's kind of because it's, like, pretty much a karaoke song already. And yeah. And it's, like, campy 80s kind of thing. So I just felt that already I was, like, ugh. And then The Bridge – the bridge is the, mm, the bridge where she says, Hey kids, spelling is fun. And then Brendan, I didn't notice that part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. And then Brendan says, You can't spell awesome without me. I oh, just feel no. like we were pushing the sugariness even for me. And like I know it's all very self-aware. Like they've said that they were trying to just make a really fun, playful song. So they're not yeah. like serious. It was a little bit too like disnified for me. Like it was yeah. just pushing it beyond shake it off let's say like that's yeah. the fun level that's my fu- my fun threshold mm-hmm. i'm not that fun a person so mm-hmm. shake it off is my fun <laughs> threshold. um i listened to a very interesting episode of the switched on pop podcast mm-hmm. where um a musicologist and a musician really broke down this song and like you catchy and that kind of thing Um, so many like reasons why it's so catchy was like one is that it uses the same kind of trumpets as um, in Panic at the Disco's High Hope so it's kind Mm -hmm. of like backing off the success of that song Um, there's some stuff like they like were speculating that with it using an exclamation mark in the title of the song it's kind of inserting itself in the pantheon of other songs that have used exclamation marks so like mm-hmm. by the Beatles or mm-hmm. and I feel like a woman by Shania Twain. <laughs> so It's just like a lot of really clever details that they had touched on. One that I really thought was interesting was the use of like pop overture, which is um, if you listen to the beginning of the song, she kind of basically says the chorus mm-hmm. as the very first line. And that makes you already like predisposed to find the chorus super catchy. Yeah. Um, I did not know this was the name of it, but I remember listening to an interview with Blossoms probably last year and they talked about how they did it on their second album, Cool Like You, for a lot of songs. So mm-hmm. um, one of the big ones is There's a Reason Why, brackets, I Never Returned Your Call, brackets. Um, and that one kind of like heralds the song, the chorus of the song at the very beginning of the song. And they said they got the idea of um, – I believe is "Knee Socks" by Arctic Monkeys. You know mm-hmm. how the beginning of that is kind of like, yeah. <laughs> and then it launches into it. So you're yeah. already ready for that like knee socks chorus. So yeah. um, this uses that, and I thought that was really interesting. So I think there's a lot of like very clever elements in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not my favorite Taylor Swift song
0: mm-hmm.
1: right now. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think it's, it's still obviously going to be a number one and it's going to get a lot of airplay and we'll see how that goes. But I think it can be useful to talk about this song and about the video mm-hmm. um, in terms of what we can expect for the next Taylor Swift album. Because with every kind of Taylor Swift album, it's like an era, isn't it? Like it seems yeah. to almost, even if you're not that into Taylor Swift. Do you know that there are eras? Yeah. And like they almost kind of like come to define eras of people's like lives. Yeah. Like it's weird. Like I've looked for um, parts of my life, and I'm like, oh wow, reputation perfectly reflected that. Or <laughs> so, like 1989 was like perfect for that time in my life. So I I think that'd be really interesting to discuss that. One way we can do that is through the video. Mm-hmm. So you've just watched the video, Michael. What did. are your What are your feels on it?
0: Uh, it was very pink.
1: Was, yes, very um, pink and pastels and rainbows yeah. and unicorns. And- That's
0: one of my pet peeves. They speak French at the beginning. Yes. And one of my pet peeves is in um, English media when they speak French and then subtitle it and they're not saying the same things as the subtitles say.
1: Oh, like, like a paraphrase kind of version
0: Yes.
1: Right. So what was the difference there? Um, the stuff about like, don't
0: do it in front of the girls, I think was the line. Yes. Like, she wasn't actually saying that. She was saying
1: something else. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Oh, weird. Oh. Which, like, I get it. Like, language doesn't translate perfectly, but sometimes it's so obviously different that it's, like, very disconcerting for, like, the I don't know how many of us who speak both languages.
1: <laughs> you and Timothy Chalamet were yes. like, what are you doing, Taylor? Um, yeah, well, the video, it has some French in it. It does. Mm-hmm. Begin with a snake that explodes into butterflies. Like you were freaked out by the snake. Yeah, I don't like snakes. Yeah, so the snake was kind of like a symbol of the Reputation era, yeah. in that which I believe stems from um, Kim Kardashian releasing the tape of her agreeing to the Kanye West song, right? Uh, and that because Taylor Swift had always denied that she had agreed to the line um, "I made that bitch famous," mm-hmm. Kanye West song. And, you know, spoke about that a lot. And then Kim Kardashian had a recording of Taylor Swift. Um, I believe she didn't agree to the word bitch, but she, she, yeah. for all intents and purposes, she'd agreed to the concept. And it was a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, so she released that on National Snake Day. And ah. Yeah, yeah. So then um, Taylor Swift kind of um, reclaimed the snake as her symbol. And it was a very big symbol in the reputation era she used it like in her, mm-hmm. her stadium setup it was like just in a lot of like merchandise and in videos and that kind of thing so i think with this video starting with the snake exploding into butterflies mm-hmm. it's like reputation is over this is what's in and what is in is dancing around in pastels and clouds and rainbows and unicorns and a place that basically looks like the good place am i yeah, right it
0: does yeah
1: yeah um so again, like her teasing and like the carefulness of the song structure, the mm-hmm. video has a lot of like Easter eggs in it. Mm-hmm. So there's a cheerleader scene at two minutes and 42 seconds, I believe. Mm-hmm. There is also a cheerleader scene in the Shake It Off video at exactly two minutes and 42 seconds as well, Damn. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um Taylor Swift has also said that there's clues for her new album in this video. Mm-hmm. So some ones that people have latched on to is that there's a clock at the beginning that's set to 8.30, mm-hmm. which people are thinking maybe August 30th is when the album's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, she's wearing cowboy boots in one bit, so maybe she's going to be more country again. Um, I was going to ask your opinion. How do you feel about this level of like detail and planning? Because we've seen it in her, her teasing of the song. We've mm-hmm. seen it the production of the song and we've seen it in the production of the video what is your opinion on that
0: i think it's pretty cool like it gets the hype out for your. yeah i think in like the era of personal social media it's like really interesting and refreshing like the like, with Instagram stories and all of that, like, you feel like you're, like, intimately know the people who you're talking to, like, you mm. follow, and, like, you know exactly what they're doing every second of every day. Yeah. nothing's that thing's, like, a secret, and the planning kind of makes it feel like it, like, reinforces her celebrity status in a way.
1: I think you're definitely right. It makes her seem, like because I certainly don't have the time or energy or even wits to be coming up with all this kind of stuff, right? Like, it makes her feel superhuman,
0: Mm -hmm. I think,
1: in that she's managed to weave all this. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, like, it serves a function in making people like things more, as we were saying. Um, There's even, like, bits of... The me ee ee oo in this song, as I said in the Switched On Pop podcast, is kind of like the shake it off, shake it off, you know? It's like yeah. tying those things together. Um, there's a bit where she talks about, like, um, fighting in the rain in this song, and she's done mm-hmm. that in previous songs. So it's, it's, it's very clever. Um, I think, it like, it works for a certain audience, and yeah. I think, like the internet and a sense of community on the internet is a big thing for Taylor Swift fans. So Mm -hmm. you can see why they would like really latch onto this. And also like Taylor Swift fans are very, a lot of them are very obsessive and like that obsession needs the constant feeding, like the clues act as a fuel for that. Right. Like you can't just disappear off the face of the earth and then come back in five years and drop an album. Like it, it, it's a bit more than that. Like it's a bit, more intimate um it just makes me kind of exhausted though i have to say like it 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 really like like i like i this sounds bad but like i really like when music kind of you know expresses feelings you don't really understand or like Mm -hmm. it's really and like it really connects you to these people because you know a certain lyric or like the delivery of the lyric makes you think that they really understand what you're feeling and i feel like this level of like manufactured take that away for me personally Mm -hmm. um again my beloved lizzie goodman author of (laughs) *In the bathroom was talking about um this and she was saying in that um i believe the interview was she was talking about kind of the difference between the strokes and vampire weekend and that like vampire the difference is vampire weekend had the internet and they had all these kind of like influences that they were able to like really carefully pick and choose from this encyclopedic knowledge of music and she was saying, "I think it's fantastic, but you have to be careful that that doesn't like take the sex out of things. Like for want of a better word, and that yeah. does take that kind of like the rawness away if everything is so methodical." Yeah. Um, so, look, that's just my personal preference, but I think for Taylor Swift's audience, this is the way to go. Oh yeah, so, definitely. Maybe that's just why it exhausts me though. Um, so, now that we've kind of talked about the the teasing and the song and the video. It's time to speculate on what her new album will be mm-hmm. like or about. So I think like this song, as all good lead singles do, will like thematically represent the album. But mm-hmm. you know, it might not be the strongest or like the best song, but it represents like the ideas that she'll be exploring. So I think like this next album is going to be very um, playful, yeah. and I think focused on herself rather than. Celebrity feuds or romantic relationships, maybe? Mm -hmm. Um, I read an interesting article in The Globe that talked about this theory, and I'll link to that. Um, So that's kind of where I'm seeing this. And I guess it kind of leads me to the topic of reinvention because Swift kind of started off as her, as you were saying, like, she had country albums. The first, Mm -hmm. like, two or three were very, very country. And then from Red... 1989 reputation and now this one we've seen nearly a completely different artist every time Um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think like when I was younger maybe this is why I stopped Taylor Swifting was like I hated it I was like why aren't you just like produce the same thing that we all like and love but now I kind of like I appreciate that you don't want all of your albums to sound the exact same yeah Um, but like you want to like still be the same band like you don't or like artist, you don't want to like yeah. lose what people liked about you like um talk about vampire weekend a lot like you can see a difference between the first two albums and um the most not this one that just came out but like oh modern, um, vampire. modern vampire like that one's yes. different but yeah still vampire weekend very clearly yes
1: yeah. Um yeah, I kind of want to talk about that too because I think that artists like kind of fall into two categories. So the ones who constantly reinvent and mm-hmm. ones who like find a sound and stick to it. I think the most obvious example of ones who constantly reinvent is like the Beatles, right? Like mm-hmm. that's
0: they're like, they're the original constant reinventers.
1: Yeah, like every album you get like they've different haircuts and like different outfits and like a different sound every single yeah. time and like they attracted a very young female boy bandy audience at the, at beginning. the beginning and then... yeah and then by the end had completely switched it over to like like grown men who like did a lot of drugs right like yeah. it's it's yeah and I feel like um Arctic Monkeys are pretty similar to that like their mm-hmm. first two albums are quite similar mm-hmm. I think I would say the step between their first album and their second album is similar to what Vampire Weekend did between let's say their second and their third yeah but like That's very confusing math. Sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) But, like, I think if you compare their first album and their most recent album back-to-back, you'd be like, what the hell? But if you followed it all... Like, through
0: AM, you're like, you understand. It would make
1: make sense. um, But, again, I would understand if somebody said that they liked one album and didn't like any of the others. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or if there was, Mm -hmm. like, some albums they liked and one they didn't really like. I I can understand that. Mm -hmm. Whereas, with a band like the Catfish and the Bottlemen who I went to see, they actually use like the same illustrator for every album cover. Um, mm-hmm. Every single one of their songs is a one word title
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they kind of cover, you know, the same kind of topics and the same kind of sound, you know, mm-hmm. if a song from their third album wouldn't sound out of place if it was put on there first, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing. I think if you've got that and that works, that's really well. I'm, I don't know how much it, like, lends itself to longevity, you know? Yeah. If, you, if it's the same thing or um, – And I think probably some of, like, the the strongest bands are the ones who can do, like, a range of different things and have yeah. that desire to explore things because I think we can't expect people to do what they were doing as a teenager mm-hmm. at 30, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: But there's also, like, the – when you go see your favorite artist who's been around for a long time, you don't want it to, like, be, like, you can't, they can't play their old stuff because it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you
0: want to go and see Vampire Weekend on their new tour and they play A-Punk. Like, oh, if you yeah. can't play yeah. A-Punk anymore, then that's really sad.
1: Yeah. I remember I went to see Miley Cyrus when she did the Bangers tour. Yeah. And that was when, like, you know, she was Miley Cyrus with the space buns and, like, yeah. the the crazy props and stuff. And like that was a complete breakaway from what anything she'd mm-hmm. ever done before. But she did do party in the USA, mm-hmm. and it was pretty awesome. So, could you imagine I, her
0: doing like the climb in that phase of her life?
1: Yeah, like that, that would have been weird. Work, you know, yeah. yeah. So I think you're right. I think my thing is that I don't have a problem with people changing as long as it's done well, mm-hmm. because like lots of people actually do find their wheelhouse later on and reach that yeah. peak success. Then, like. You know, I would. Is 1989 maybe Taylor Swift's most popular album? Like, I think so. Yeah, and that's like completely different to what she would have started out as. Again, yeah. to use the example of arty Monkeys, just because I've looked at this figure before, so their first album is still their highest selling one in the UK. Interesting, but in the US, AM oh, yeah. their fifth album far outstripped it like
0: i started the arctic monkeys with am because that's what like really blew them
1: up yes i'm saying that yeah Mm -hmm. and i think but i think that's what made a lot of people not like tranquility based hotel and casino because people got so attached to am because it was the most commercially successful one that like they didn't really understand um i think maybe some of like their previous work or like side work that did more resemble Tranquility based Hotel and Casino. I think if you had a very extensive knowledge of actually <laughs> you'd, you'd like it. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think as long as things are done well, because I think some people do change for the sake of change and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, that wasn't a good idea. I think if people do it well, there's always the possibility that they'll reach that, that like they just, you know, this might seem like their best thing right now, but maybe there's something else they have to try and mm-hmm that could be their best thing so i think we're definitely gonna see i i don't believe the theory about taylor swift going back to country i think this is going to be like a pure pop album like i think this is gonna be even poppier than the last couple i I don't see
0: this song as being that country at all
1: or yeah like no 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 it was just the share the country boots and people like maybe there's gonna be country elements to this i'm not seeing it i don't think she's gonna i i don't think she's gonna go go back because this song so. would seem so out of place if the rest of the
0: album is country
1: yes and that is like the point of a lead single is that it's supposed to lead the album right like yeah. in you know it's, it's often not people's like favorite one out of it but it has to represent what what you're going for mm-hmm. um, and yeah i think I think it's going to be a very sugary album, um, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm pretty excited for it. I think um, kind of like what I was saying with, like, Catfish, it's almost nice to kind of be older and not, like, an obsessive <laughs> fan of things. Yeah. And, like, y- you know, like, you're not taking mm-hmm. things so seriously, and you can just kind of appreciate these things for the fun that they are. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of I hope has caught you guys all up with the whole Taylor Swift history and where we're at right now and why yeah. this is so exciting and why it really got people hyped up this month. righty then. So that is our one year birthday episode <laughs> done. Micah, what are you gonna be up to before we next hear from you?
0: Um I will be hanging out. I will be going to a concert, two concerts, a couple concerts. Oh, who are you going to see? I'm going to see Beach House next week. Ooh. In Seattle. <gasps> That's spring. so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think something else. I can't remember. Um, we'll be hanging, doing doing the summer things,
1: even though it's still spring. It's oh. summer
0: in my mind now.
1: That's Yeah, you're done with your classes. That sounds beautiful. Um, I am also... not road tripping I'm plane tripping nice for um a concert at the end of this month I am seeing the strokes I cannot quite believe it because (laughs) I've been waiting for this since I was 14 I am very very excited so um I will speak to you guys after that um if you want to catch up on any of this goss you can find me on the gram at at Yasmin Lomax where are you Micah at Miss Clearwater and together, we're at DTCBS podcast. We will be posting about that giveaway. So make sure mm-hmm. you uh, get on that, kids. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>